0: Welcome everyone that's joined us for the call this morning. This is the last call for our series on mindfulness, dharma and climate action. It's the last call of the series but not the last uh, way that we can gather around this really pressing subject. I'm so glad you can join us today and I'm also very, very glad to welcome our teachers who will be presenting um, unfortunately, Bhikkhu Bodhi um, has uh, messaged us this morning and said that uh, how he was so uh, looking forward to joining us and giving some input, but unfortunately, uh, due to health consideration, he's unable to join us. And um, I really recommend that each of us um, explore the work that Bhikkhu Bodhi has done uh, as a leader uh, for all of us in, in climate action and bringing our attention to the emergency of our situation. Uh, I'm uh, very, very um, glad that we have David Loy and Aya Santajita and Aya Santusika joining us on the call uh, to give some um, guidance and input, and also to our team, Lou and Kristen from One Earth Sangha, Yong and Barry. So without further ado, um, I would like to just uh, hand over to you, Lou, to begin our call. Our focus today is what can we actually do? How can we turn all of these conversations that we've had, all these considerations into action? So, Lou.
1: Thank you, Tanisra, and hello everyone. Uh, such a wonderful topic to uh, wrap up this series on. Climate change really is such a big problem that sometimes it feels that we can't make a difference. In fact social scientists tell us that this sense of hopelessness is one of the top reasons why people don't act at all. But as our conversation last week reminded, we aren't just our small selves in this. We're, we're part of this larger body that's acting, and together we absolutely can make a difference um, in so many different ways on this, on this issue. Uh, and I can tell you um, from where I sit, um, change is happening and we are making a difference. The background paper that we shared uh, for this series uh, includes on pages 5 and 6 and in the appendix some of the many ways that um, you can get involved, that, that, that people can get involved. Um, I want to mention uh, two quickly without judging them to be better than, than the others, um, but just as examples of, of the change that's happening and, and different ways to get involved. The first is just to uh, really name um, a revolution that's happening right now in our electric power uh, generating systems around the world. Um, As you probably know, uh, the generation of electric power is the number one uh, producer of um, CO2 pollution in the world, Um, but right now there's a revolution going on um, in, in that system and it's driven to a great degree by a revolution in solar power. Um, As you might know, uh, there's been a 60% reduction in the cost of um, solar panels over the last five years and a 99% reduction in those costs since 1977. And what studies show is that if as few as 5% of households in many utility systems um, in, for example, North America and Europe were to switch to um, uh, solar panels on their roofs, this would create a tipping point that could change our entire utility system systems towards renewable energy. The background paper has more details about how going solar can be accomplished and especially with a focus in North America and um, in Europe, but with resources for other areas, uh, including ways that individuals can join together to make this change happen um, through bulk purchases of, uh, of solar systems um, that can bring costs down even further, um, You know, kind of like going to Costco um, to, um, to buy solar panels in your neighbors. Um, uh, so, solar is a place where um, every individual action really adds up, and it's a place where there are tipping points that are, are right around the corner. The second um, area that I just wanted to mention quickly is political action, which is absolutely critical and sometimes can be discouraging um, because our political systems don't always seem up to the challenge. But we can't ignore the opportunities that arise within those systems to make. Uh, change around, around climate. Last, the last month's uh, People's Climate March began a road that leads to Paris in December of 2015 where countries will negotiate a new international climate agreement. And there's a key stop on that road to Paris that I just want to make everyone aware of and that is the deadline of next March 2015 when countries have to put new national carbon pollution cuts on the table, all countries of the world, ahead of Paris. This is a key moment. And no matter where you live, right now in your country the government is developing a new national target for reducing climate pollution. So I encourage you to find out what that process is like in your country and make your voice heard. Uh, In the U.S. you can add your name to a petition to President Obama to put a strong target on the table for the United States. You can call your members of Congress to say we want a strong outcome in Paris. But most of all, as you think about getting involved, find the way to do so that speaks most to you. By doing even a little studies show that people gain confidence and they do more on this on this issue. And remember that you aren't alone and whatever way you choose to contribute really does matter and is helping us um, get to the, the change that we need. So I'm really excited to, for the panel that we have today and I want to turn things over to David Loy uh, to get us started. David.
2: Oh, thank you, Lou, and thank you to Mr. Uh, can everyone hear me okay?
0: Um, yeah, you're good. Go right. for
2: Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm really very happy to be a part of this conversation. I really appreciate the, the invitation and the opportunity. Um, listening to the uh, conversations that have happened so far, a number of things have come to mind for me, and one of them in particular that I think I need to begin with is uh, to look at the fact that I think one of the things we're called upon to do now is actually to re-examine our own tradition. Uh, What I mean by that is it's not only an issue of what Buddhism might be able to do to help us understand and respond to, to the climate crisis, but also I think the climate crisis also encourages us, in fact challenges us to sort of look at our own tradition and what it is within it, certain ambiguities there that I think have sometimes uh, uh, actually haven't encouraged us to take this kind of step. Uh, What am I getting at here? Well, I've been trying to talk about uh, climate and ecological issues for a number of years as well as more general social concerns. And and frankly, uh, until quite recently, there's been a fair amount of uh, frustration uh, with often indifference and sometimes even resistance within certain parts of the Buddhist community. For example, about five and a half years ago, John Stanley and I co-edited a book, uh, A Buddhist Response to the Climate Emergency, and frankly the response was rather a thunder of silence. And, and and I've been struck by that. Why why hasn't there been a more progressive response on the part of Buddhists generally. And and thinking about it, looking into it, I could see some ambiguity within the foundation of our tradition that I think we really need to address. Um, when, for example, you look at the um, some of the earlier Asian traditions with the emphasis upon uh, transcending this world. Uh, for example, understanding the goal of nirvana or nirvana as not being reborn. Insofar as that becomes the goal, sometimes that's understood as encouraging a kind of indifference to this world, right? This world of samsara uh, is is sometimes devalued as the place of not only suffering but craving and delusion. And often the response of Buddhists has not been to want to engage with it, but to try to transcend it, to try to escape it try to check out of it. And, and that can be very problematical when we're in a situation such as we are now where uh, clearly we do need to engage. Uh, I, I'm not so sure that that is the primary perspective that we find, for example, in, in Western or westernizing Buddhism. But there is a kind of opposite response that isn't always more helpful. What I mean by that is as, as Buddhism has come uh, to the West, there's been this really interesting and generally very fruitful interaction with Western psychology, especially uh, psychotherapy. Uh, and as I said, I think there's a lot of very wonderful, important things that have come out of that. But one of the implications uh, that has sometimes gone along with it is is the sense that my problems are... In my head, they have to do with my own uh, mental and emotional life. And if I simply uh, work on that level, then uh, the, the basic problems of my life will be solved. In other words, it, this too doesn't necessarily encourage engagement with society. If the more traditional approach is to understand this world as samsara, something that you want to transcend, Uh, a more psychological approach uh, can encourage us to see the solution as simply engaging with our own minds, and as a result of that, then everything will be okay, we will harmonize or fit into the world better. And the danger of this is both of those discourage the kind of engagement with the world that we really need now. Uh, and, And I guess what I'm saying is here, I think we really need to clarify the nature of awakening here and acknowledge that the, the, the fundamental issue isn't so much about escaping this world or fitting into it, but rather realizing uh, how much our experience of the world is, is due to the way that we construct it, due to our delusions, due to our cravings. We have this particular dualistic understanding of... of Uh, that makes us feel separate from the world. And in a way that's the challenge, that we need to overcome this sense of separation and insofar as Buddhist practice sort of can encourage us to simply try to transcend the world, it it can actually encourage us to, to go and to move into the wrong direction. And if we realize that our own personal problem is that my, dualistic relationship with the world, the sense that I'm inside my head in some way and the rest of the world is out there. Insofar as I need to deconstruct and reconstruct that way of experiencing the world, so uh, the same thing is true collectively. The same thing is true socially. Uh, The the dukkha that we're talking about with climate change and the ecological crisis generally and indeed a number of social and economic problems, it's not just Something individual. It's something that is institutionalized, and that it requires us to uh, clarify and develop the Buddhist tradition in this way in order to really successfully address those those concerns. So, that's my uh, f- first comment and first concern: is is this need to sort of clarify? exactly what it is that we're doing when we're doing Buddhist practice. Are we trying to transcend the world? Are we trying to just fit into it? Or do we realize that we really need to reconstruct the way we experience it and experience ourselves? Um, and then moving on from there, it, it seems to me that within the Buddhist tradition, we have an, an art type that speaks exactly to that. In fact, sometimes I wonder if this might actually be the most important thing that Buddhism uh, has to offer to contribute to the kind of situation we are in now. And here I'm referring to something that uh, Jack Cornfield, for example, uh, mentioned in the first conversation, but I think we can say a bit more about it. I'm I'm referring to the Bodhisattva Path. Uh, Now if, if one looks at the history of the Buddhist tradition, the Bodhisattva Path is, has sometimes been understood in a kind of sectarian way as, as part of the Mahayana critique of Theravada. But I really think we need to uh, rise above that and realize that it's rather providing us with a particular orientation that can really help us address the kinds of situations that we find ourselves in now ecologically. Uh, because what is so special about the Bodhisattva, of course, is that he or she has a double practice. That is to say, they're not only continuing their own meditations, or whatever their contemplative practices may be, but they're also out there engaged in the world. Uh, Traditionally, this has often been understood as uh, helping other people wake up, but I think we can see now how the situation we're in is really calling upon us to uh, find ways to address the kind of problems that we're looking at here, especially especially climate change. Uh, just a moment ago, I mentioned that it, this is a double path, but it really seems to me that it's not a double path. It's actually two sides of the, of the same path. Because as we begin to wake up, as we begin to, as we say in Zen, let go of ourselves, forget ourselves, uh, open up and realize that we're not separate from the world, just that beginning opening doesn't mean that we automatically eliminate our basic self-centered or self-preoccupied tendencies. Those are still there within us. So how do, we, how do we address them? Well, that's where the bodhisattva activity comes in. If waking up is realizing that we're not separate from other people, then how do we learn to live in such a way that is actualizing that, that sense of non-separation? And I think that's the Bodhisattva path here. This has been well summarized by the uh, uh, Vedanta Nisargadatta, who who expressed it beautifully when he said, when I look inside and see that I am nothing, that's wisdom. When I look outside and see that I am everything, that's love. Between these two, my life turns. And here we have the two main pillars of of the Buddhist practice, wisdom and compassion compassion, the compassion of the bodhisattva who is working in the world to make the world a better place, uh, that is simply actualizing, or that's building upon the the growing wisdom that we're not really separate from it. But there's also something else very special about the the bodhisattva that I really think uh, needs to be emphasized here. In my Zen tradition, uh, every day we would recite the the four bodhisattva vows, the first of which is, uh, sentient beings are numberless, I vow to uh, save them all, or I vow to help them all be liberated, or uh, vow that their dukkha may be ended. And this this is quite interesting, because needless to say, this is a pretty big project. In fact, so big that it's not as though one can ever expect to fulfill it. It's really calling for a kind of reorientation of one's whole basic uh, stance to the world. Instead of asking, again, you know, there's the situation, what can I get out of it? We, we, we learn to ask, what can I do to make this situation better? And it's the kind of reorientation that I think is really necessary now when it's so easy to feel overwhelmed by the magnitude of the problem and the, the strength of the forces that are resisting the kind of transformations that are, that are necessary. The point is, the bodhisattva, someone who has taken that kind of a vow is not going to be overawed by the magnitude of the problem. The nature, is, the, the nature of the challenge is such that we are called upon to do the very best that we can not knowing if anything that we do makes any difference whatsoever. Huge question, huge, huge challenge here. Um, And what makes that possible, of course, is the fact that the Bodhisattva has the double practice, that he and she also is uh, meditating, and with the meditation practice touching on that equanimity, or as we say in Zen, the the emptiness, the the place where... uh, Ironically, there's nothing to gain, there's nothing to lose, the, the place where even when there's incredible frustration in one's uh, bodhisattva activities, politically and so forth, nonetheless one is able to return to that place of equanimity, and thereby uh, be recharged. This combination seems so, so important to me today because... On the one hand, it seems essential to activists who otherwise get so easily burned out, get caught up in anger and frustration when what we hope to succeed, uh, what we hope to accomplish uh, uh, isn't accomplished or isn't accomplished in the way that we hope. It's so easy to get uh, caught up in anger and and the frustration and, and the burnout that that entails. But if you also have the Bodhisattva practice of meditation, then you're able to as it were, recharge your batteries with that. But it also works on the other side. uh, That the Bodhisattva knows that it's not enough simply to find that place of stillness or equanimity or emptiness and just dwell there. But the Bodhisattva realizes that we are called upon to go out from that and to engage in the world of form, the world of dukkha, the world uh, where there is suffering that needs to be. Uh,
0: engaged with. I think that's a nice, beautiful place to to pause because <laughs> you know the, this balance of the mm. of the Sagadatta's quote of the the compassionate response in the world informed by the depth, wisdom. You know the the unified place that we arrive at that in both inner reflection and outer action. And I love that you bring the Bodhisattva template <laughs> and. Um, and to you know um, challenge us to rework and re-understand our relationship to to Buddhism and the Dharma. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for that okay. greatly inspiring um, introduction for our conversation today. Thank you. Hmm. So just taking a breath because I but I'm, I'm very excited to. Um, Welcome Aya Santusika into our call and into our conversation. Someone that I've worked with very much through this of entering into climate action from a place of dharma and translating the dharma into action. So Aya Tusika, I welcome you and invite you to share your thoughts with us today. Thank you so much for being with us.
3: Thank you, Tanisara. And thank you, everyone, for joining this call I want to reflect on the actual kinds of action we can take, taking our, our Bodhisattva presence and, and all of the things Lou mentioned and really putting our, our bodies and our minds and our hearts into action. So I'm going to primarily focus on what I would call building a Buddhist movement. And you might wonder, why Why do we actually need a movement? Why do we need to gather together to do something? And it's really because our leadership has lost its moral compass. On the corporate level, if the executives and corporations and the directors and the stockholders were actually totally intent upon Running business in ethical and moral ways, they would never hide the facts that their products are harming people. You know, the tobacco industry wouldn't have tried to you know, spread wrong information, uh, in- incorrect information, and pledged that their product was not harming people's health. They would have said, "Wow, we don't want to harm anyone. We're pulling that off the shelves." And this is the kind of ethical stance that we really need in the world now, that we're not expecting business to act in a way that it's lying, stealing, killing, but instead taking responsibility to do things that are wholesome and helpful to the earth, to the biosphere, to to human population. Now, who is it that's supposed to be making sure that business acts ethically. I want to make sure that I, I really don't like speaking as though corporations make decisions and have power. It's the people who are running the corporations that make decisions, that take action. And I think that we need to remember that. Every decision we make creates karma. And if we really understand karma and take that in, then we don't want to have any investments in fossil fuels. We don't want to be uh, encouraging the use of fossil fuels. We want to try as quickly as we can to move away from them. Even though we still have to use them at the moment because we don't have sufficient alternatives, we want to create those alternatives as rapidly as possible. But we really, what what we all want is governments that protect the people rather than exploit the people. Government that keeps business in check when they've lost their moral compass. But now it seems our our government leadership has also lost its moral compass. So when that happens anytime throughout human history, the people need to get together and make their voices heard. We need to rise up. We need to we need to talk about this openly and band together. When a thousand people, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people come out and say, we want to protect people, animals, life, the biosphere. We want ethical leadership. Then people start to pay attention and things begin to change. Right now we're dealing with an enormous amount of unclear information. There was an elder woman the other day said, well, our government's doing everything it can to prevent climate change. And of course, it's not, not at all. If we were doing everything we could, then there would be a ban on extreme extraction methods, there would be a ban on further fossil fuel exploration, there would be a high tax on carbon emissions. We, would, we wouldn't be worried about what the governments would come together and do in Paris in 2015. We would be sure that there would be a binding effective treaty, but that's not the case and that's why we have to get involved. So one of the ways that we can get involved that I'm uh, excited about and interested in is, is coming out of our experience in organizing for the People's Climate March. So a number of us were involved in the people of faith um, organizing for the People's Climate March. We had weekly conference calls on a national level about what we were doing in our local areas and what we were doing in each of our, our faith um communities. And it was inspiring to hear that there were 40 mosques that were going to be represented at the People's Climate March, and it made me feel like, wow, the Buddhists, we really need to start to reach out to each other, get involved, make sure we get to the march and make our voices heard, our, our presence known, our wishes clear. And so Those groups that were working during the People's Climate March are still continuing because we know there's still much more that we can do and need to do. And one of the things that we're going to put into action soon, and we're beginning discussions about how to do it, is a Buddhist team on the national level that has periodic conversations, conference call conversations where we check in and discuss what's happening in different areas. This can, be, this can be done in the United States but it can also be done anywhere, the same model. Have a national conversation among the Buddhists. It doesn't have to be limited to the Buddhists. Anybody can hang out with us. (laughs) But to really try to reach out to different Buddhist groups. There are many, many different Buddhist groups that have never connected to each other. Right now we have a thriving group in the New York City area. People from different sanghas came together to work to host the People's Climate March. And they're continuing their work. So they're intending to have a representative call into this national team on a regular basis and report what they're doing locally. We want to have those same kinds of groups in Portland, Seattle, San Francisco Bay Area, Dallas and anywhere else in the country and anywhere else in the world to talk about what it is that we're doing on our local levels and organize the local Buddhist Sanghas. This is really a powerful way to connect. It's a powerful way to inspire each other. It's it's an excellent way to share information and to be ready for mass mobilization when it's needed, like the People's Climate March, like what we wanna to do to uh, really make sure that the Climate Treaty in Paris in 2015 is solid, effective and Sufficient, more than sufficient, to put um, a stall on climate change. So the intention behind this gathering together and really making um, our our best efforts in in all different kinds of of areas, depending on what is needed in area in various districts. So, for example, in California, there are efforts to try to convince Governor Jerry Brown to put a moratorium on fracking. There are efforts to resist the transportation of the uh, tar sands oil into Richmond, California to be processed. And other like uh, efforts, trying to get the University of California to divest from fossil fuels, all of these efforts can be joined by coming together as Buddhists and getting involved. So, if if you're interested in participating in this, I would invite you to send me an email to santusika, that's S-A-N-T-U-S-S-I-K-A at gmail.com and in the subject line put Buddhist action, and then we'll add you to a mailing list and get you involved. And we can help each other with, with outreach, and we can also, we'll be, we'll be connecting with the larger movement through the people of faith, connecting with what's happening with other faith-based groups, and also with the general activist Hub, So we still have a web page on the People's Climate March hub, and we are now going to have a Buddhist page on the the hub for Our Voices. So this is an effort coming through Green Faith, which was organizing the people of faith for the People's Climate March. Our Voices is um, an organizing group with the goal for millions of people of faith and moral belief to sign on and pray in their own tradition for the Paris 2015 UN Climate Summit to succeed where all past talks have failed. By signing on, we are expressing our love and concern for all our children, for vulnerable people and our precious planet. So this effort is focused on three things really spreading awareness of what spiritual groups are doing, helping spiritual groups with their own call to action and outreach, and organizing days of prayer and action. One that's coming up is a vigil on December 7th, using solar lamps instead of candles, To that's called the Light for Lima. It'll be in the midst of the conference in Lima. When when many, many, many people take an action like this, then the people who are in those negotiations are encouraged, inspired, and pressured. And that's what we need to really try to stand up to the pressure of the billions of dollars that are behind the industries that are furthering the destruction and leading us into um, disaster and catastrophe. Abraham Lincoln in his Getty, Gettysburg Address called about, talked about a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. But we don't have that anymore. We have a government of the billionaires, by the billionaires, and for the billionaires. This is what we need to stand up to. And we do that from a place of practice and depth and the bodhisattva vow. And we do it from a place of connection, connecting together. And it's joyful. It's a happy thing to do. So I wanna encourage everyone to get out in America to get out and vote on Tuesday. Make sure we're voting for people who are gonna really actually take action on climate. And put pressure on the ones who are on the fence and put pressure on the ones who have denied it. I wanna encourage everyone to uh, participate in talking with everybody you know about getting involved. There's a great tool uh, called the Pledge to Mobilize that you can look for at www.climatemobilization.com and see if that fits as a support for how to talk to each other. We are the first Mm -hmm. generation to feel the effects of climate change And we're the last generation that's going to be able to do anything about it. This is so imperative. We can bring all of our love and our joy. Coming together is a happy experience. And making a difference to do the right thing and encourage our brothers and sisters everywhere to do the right thing is the best we can do. Thank you.
0: Perfect. (laughs) Thank you so much, Aya. Yeah, beautiful. And uh, I also just want to add that in the movement of the people of faith and our Buddhist um, engagement with that and contribution to that, we also have been hooking up with Avas and 350.org and Idle No More, First Nation Indigenous Movement, so that we can bring a, the faith voice to inform uh, and connect with and collaborate with the activists uh, on the front lines. So more about this later. As I said at the beginning of the call, this is an ongoing process of gathering our energy and forces together and our focus. So thank you so much, Aya Santusika, for such, a, such clarity. Uh, Aya Santajita, who is also a dear, dear friend and um, great practitioner over so many years, and also involved in the People's Climate March, People's Climate Train, and this is a discussion we've been having um, together. So I also like to invite you to bring your words uh, into this forum for us today. And thank you again, Aya, so much uh, for being with us today.
4: Thank you so much for the opportunity to to speak today with all of you. And... uh, I just, you know, want to invite us to just take a moment and um, connect with ourselves and also with, uh, you know, how it feels when we hear all of this information coming to us from a a Buddhist nun who is so very clearly um, outspoken about the fact that we need to act on what is happening. We can no longer just, uh, you know, be with our own experience and stop there. We really need to see, you know, what holds us back from uh, full-heartedly engage into the conversation and full-heartedly engage into stepping out into the world and, you know, making a difference. However, you know, where we are, we have to just start where we are. And if we are feeling, you know, a sense of uh, threat, a sense of despair, a sense of confusion, uh, resistance, you know, not really wanting to step out, then we have to start with that. But it's really important that we do start and that we that the whole you know our whole world is holding up a very big mirror for us you know uh, wanting to wake us up to the fact to the way how we are living it's no longer sustainable it's our you know the world view we have been living in for a long time now is is clearly not, not working any longer uh, and our world view which is in many many ways based on fossil fuels you know we are dressing ourselves in fossil fuels, we are eating uh, fossil fuels, we are living inside of fossil fuels, we are transporting ourselves with fossil fuels, they are all over, you know, our lives, in all corners and everywhere, and on the other hand, we also do know that if we want to stay within a so-called safe uh, limit of two degrees warming, we we can burn only another about 550 gigatons of fossil fuel. And our industries have, until today, have kind of identified about 2,800 gigatons of fossil fuels, and that's about five times as much as we can burn if we don't want to go over those two degrees of warming. So the situation is a very, very dire situation, and we need to organize ourselves, to pressurize our government officials to make uh, very clear um, limits and to make very clear commitments and very strong decisions about this because, you know, we don't have much time left and we have the opportunity, you know, to make a decision if this passage, you know, into a new way of living is going to be difficult, is going to be very difficult, or is going to be impossible. You know, we can't anymore take this easy because we have already gone much too far, and we really need to wake up to the fact that You know, if we don't take action, it's going to be impossible, you know, for civilization as we know it to continue. It's simply going to be not possible. And, you know, to kind of take that truth in and all of the suffering and the strife, and it's it's kind of horrible, you know, to imagine that really. But I think it is needed that we do open our minds to the fact that if we do not act, this is what's going to happen because it's not going to change by itself. And, you know, I like to think about, you know, contemplating old age sickness and death of a world view, really, which no longer serves us and which has, you know, really needs to change and we need to speak about it. We need to demand action, you know, from, uh, from our politicians, really. And we need to support those politicians who are willing to, you know, make a change. We need to be very clear about this. And for that we need to work together. And I feel very inspired by what Aya Sandusika was mentioning about this national network, you know, where we can support each other and where we can inform each other and. Where we can learn, you know what we can do. Even you know right now, you might not exactly know what to do, but if you, as soon as you come out and you meet with others, you will hear what they do. You can, you can join in and you can uh, grow together. And you know, in order to make this process uh, possible, we need a framework of a teaching and and the Buddha has left us with a very very strong framework starting with the five precepts you know especially the first two precepts I mean they are totally covered by the whole question of climate change it's all about you know harmlessness and taking what is not given freely it's very much connected in with the whole way how our systems are treating the planet it's just completely out of touch with what is needed, we are destroying our biosphere and we have been knowing that for a quite a long time and it's very heartening to hear that more and more people are really willing to speak up about it and that's why this call is just such an encouragement, you know, to really see that now Buddhists are really stepping out and wanting to organize themselves to make their voices heard and i also you know want to connect in what david said before about you know the the fact about you know transcendence has been so long favored you know in the buddhist world as being the way you know how we can embody the buddhist teaching but i really think it's it's a transcendence of the ego it's not a transcendence of the planet itself we we don't need to let go of our planet we don't need to let go of the beautiful uh species which are living here with us, but we need to let go of our egos. We need to let go of the ways how we think we need to live and what we think we need to have and what we need to throw away and all of those things we have to reconsider. If that's really true, do we really need all of those things? Or is this just like a a worldview which we can outgrow and which we must outgrow because it's the world. The planet cannot support this worldview, And I, I really felt very uh, inspired also what Penny Opal-Plant, one of the First Nation leaders on the climate trend said. She said, you know, we are the immune system of the planet. We have to speak out. We have to ring the alarm bells. We have to, you know, increase those who want to act on behalf of our Mother Earth, you know, who is sick right now. And if we all together act as the immune system, if we speak out, we don't need to be more than seven to ten percent in order to really get this different worldview established into the mainstream, and we can do this, and if we you know work together, if we establish a systems of communicating and encouraging each other, then we will make a difference. We don't know what the result will be, but we can't know that. And we, but we can do our best and then let go. But not before we have done everything within our power to make a difference. And there's this very beautiful slogan which was mentioned a lot on the march and on the train. The people united will never be defeated. The people united will never be defeated. And it's about, you know, working with all of those obstacles which are preventing us from uniting and working together on this. It's, you know, it's the internal and the external. We have to attend to both, and they're both of the same importance because we can't be really effective externally if internally we are completely caught up in our own stuff. But... We also can't wait forever, you know, to step out, to do something, to say something and to act because we have to remember what the Buddha, you know, was doing in the night of his enlightenment. He was sitting under the Bodhi tree and he was touching the earth. And he was calling the earth to witness because we belong here. And simply because we are here, we have the authority to speak on behalf of the earth. And in order to do that in a skillful way, we can remember also the fearlessness mudra, you know, which the Buddha has been using in his way of teaching people and encouraging people you know, to have the courage to act on what they value, act on what they care for, what they want to protect. Those two mudras, they can really help us you know, to stay on the path, touching the earth, and the fearlessness mudra both of those mudras can help me personally you know to stay present with my own experience and to have the courage to step out and say yes you know i want to practice i want to be fully here and embody the truth as long as i can and i want to end with this and encourage you all to connect in with each other and live the Buddha's teaching fully. Thank
0: you, Danisa. Beautiful words. Thank, well, thank you. Thank you, Aya. While, while I'm listening, I'm just hearing the trajectory of the call today from David's judgment to re-understand how we are practicing and bringing in the Bodhi... Chita the Bodhisattva paradigm and Aya Santusika's clear as a bell, you know, encouraging us uh, to connect together to become a very strong lobby. um, Engage, engage on every level, engage politically, engage for systemic change, and uh, Aya Santajita really um, uh, bringing that and empowering that vision. Uh, more for us, and as I'm listening, and I, what's coming up for me is this: this sense of the the robe, the being in the robes. I'm sitting here actually at uh, a local vahara in near Placerville, the, the new um, um, lodging for the bikuni. I was at the bikuni ordination yesterday of um, Aya Jayati Bhikkhuni and this this you know the robes, the robed ones are the ones that help guide us, and to, to hear such a clear messaging coming through. Um, from the Ayas. Um, it's just, I feel very moved and I feel very um, energized. And also, it, it, your last little short thing I want to say that it brings to mind our call very early on when we were, we were putting together our teacher's statement about climate change and we have Kumi Naidu, the executive director of Greenpeace International, reminding us he came out of South Africa. He was in the anti-apartheid struggle Reminding us that actually the people of faith and the faith voice and the ethics is such an important energy to bring to activism. And it was that energy that helped top of our government, helped um, overcome and bring about the civil rights movement, overcome uh, segregation in the U.S., helped overcome um, Gandhi Satchagraha, the, 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 the colonial um, domination of the British in India. So I think we have a very, very important work to do. I think we've got our map laid out, and I should stop because I'm aware that we need to go into our breakout groups and have space and time for your discussion and for questions and answers at the end of our call. So Kristen, please, um, and Barry, please uh, take us into the breakout groups. Great.
5: Well, thank you, Tanistra, and hello, everyone. Um, We'll heard wonderful wisdom from teachers on this and all of the calls, and it's I think it's so clear to all of us that the wisdom lies not just with teachers but throughout the Sangha. And so we have heard from others that the breakout groups have actually provided a a lovely uh, opportunity for you to hear and connect with others um, around the world, really, um, to make this connection of Sangha in the midst of this incredible challenge. So we consider this uh, an important part of the cultivation of Sangha and yet we don't want to lose anyone. So if you're really not comfortable going into the breakout groups, it's not a problem at all. You might do your own meditation on what you've heard so far and where it's landing inside your heart, mind, and body. All right, so let's go ahead and start the breakout groups now. Welcome back, everyone. We're all here together in one big Sangha conversation, and we'd like to hear from you now in this full gathering. Anything that you'd like to share from the reflections, uh, from your reflections within the breakout rooms or your meditation, if you have any questions. I will say that with so many of us on the call, that you, again, share from the heart and keep it relatively brief so that we can get to as many people as possible. Let's start with and you'll have to forgive me, I'm sorry for my pronunciation of names. Lasha.
6: Go ahead. We okay, can hear thank you. you. Thank you so much. Uh I was just uh so impressed and uh very moved, very touched by both David's talk and uh uh and San- I I think that's how you pronounce her name. Um I just thought it was, uh, you know, just a lot of David's talk, incredible in terms of uh, looking at our own tradition and uh, really going deep with it and, you know, and, and the way we really can be bodhisattvas, and and then the uh, dynamism of Aya Santuchika's talk, all the options and possibilities she put forth are just incredible resources. Yet, so many of the things that she talked about today, I had no way of getting that information down. There was so much, which I'd really like. Like even the email to her. I'm I'm not sure if I have her name spelt right. Uh, Just the different organizations that she mentioned, uh, Our Voices, um, you know, climate change mobilization. I'm sure there's so many I missed that I would really like to be able to Uh, make contact with and uh, be involved with because I myself, I'm a community Dharma leader here in Tucson, Arizona and I'm just starting my first uh, experiment in classes on uh, something I'm calling climate justice, how to live courageously in in this world and um, so I want to be able to bring that to as many people in my sangha as I can, and in that way, just keep touching other people. So any answers about how I get yeah. that information?
5: You bet. And I, I completely hear you, and, and thank you for your leadership uh, and what you're stepping into where you are. It's beautiful. And I'll say that we will share. If you go to the conversation archives on, on the Wunner Sangha website, all the resources... That were mentioned during all the calls will be delineated there, including the email addresses. So we'll make sure that that happens. Okay, great. So let's go to uh, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, what is your question, or what would you like to offer? Go ahead. We
2: can um, hear you. Well, can, um, the, the main thing we are excited—we are extremely excited and fulfilled by this uh, series of five meetings, and we want more. Um, we want to know, we'd like to know what's next. We, we hope this isn't the end of, of what you're doing. This has been an amazing, enlightening experience and has left me feeling very hopeful. I don't
7: feel hopeless now at all because of all the possibilities. It's more where, where, where am I going to put my, my energy among oh. all the incredible possibilities. So um,
8: right.
2: leadership, right. And, we and appreciate the leadership you've done and please continue.
5: Yes. You, um, what a wonderful segue. Actually, we are going to talk a little bit about that later in the call, but I will say that um, we hear you. We have heard it from many that um, they have been really nourished by these conversations, and so we're not going to leave you out there uh, by yourself. We're going to keep finding ways to connect, so we will be following up, um, and I'll say a little bit more about that towards the end of the call. Okay, Jeffrey? Great. Okay. Okay. I knew you would. I knew you I knew you
7: wouldn't. I knew you
5: wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Okay. So, um I'm going to go to uh Ananda Bodhi Bukini. You are on the public mic. Go ahead.
9: Hi, this is uh Aya Sudama. I'm on Aya Nanda Bodhi's telephone, so it might be my pressing um the uh the the thing that uh that you you've seen there. Is that is that correct, Aya Nanda Bodhi? Are you there? Mm, she's not there okay um so uh i uh, just wanted oh I'm, I'm from charlotte north carolina but here in california with these friends at uh, aloka vihara i am listening in with much appreciation much mudita, much um, admiration uh and i want to say i grew up in a household led by Uh, an executive from Duke Power Company. Um, And I had no idea until recently that Duke Power is one of the worst polluters in the world. And uh, even 500 mountaintops I read have been decimated by Duke Power in its search for energy and uh, for coal. And uh, done so much harm in this world, I had no idea, just no idea, um, that I have felt very uh, helpless. And especially, uh, I I am a bhikkhuni, I am a, a Buddhist nun, uh, I'm a little tiny one all by myself. I just started a new little center in my hometown a year ago, and feel sort of fragile and, and alone and not like I'm someone who could or should speak up. And these things are bigger than me. And, and besides, a, a good Buddhist shouldn't get involved in these things. And
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> been my
9: thought. And uh, I have Sanketsu's comment um, that we transcend the ego, not the world. Just a light bulb went off. I feel like oh, I can participate in this conversation. So. Ooh, I'm getting like tears. <laughs> so,
8: um,
9: just recently, I uh, got the paperwork from my city, Charlotte, North Carolina, to start a neighborhood group. My my neighborhood does not actively have a group, and so I'm seeing possibilities. Uh, my the wheels are turning as I've been listening, and um, I'm very interested in this and will pursue. And I also. Registered to vote, like within about 48 hours, just in time to register, I'm going to vote for the first time in years. I'll, I'll get back to Charlotte just in time to do that. i was determined to vote in this election. Uh,
5: thank you well, so much. Well, thank you. Yeah, and thank you for the leadership again that you are that you are stepping into. And so glad these calls have have served. Um, I'm wondering if any of those three teachers would like to comment on uh, on what was just offered. It's, it's really wonderful to
3: see how this positive, contagious, um, joyful willingness to step in and actually take a leadership role or take a, a role of participation is, is communicated. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for all teachers, all leaders, all parents all community members to pick up a, a piece, and that that leadership and that example are just so so important and and precious. So I'm I'm delighted, I'm delighted we can inspire each other.
8: Mm-hmm.
4: Also, I wanted to just I have something just say. I have who is just sitting actually in the same house as me, Eloka Vihara, just in another room just thank you so much, you know, for your response. It's very, very happening for me that, to be heard, you know, and, and that you really feel called also to join the movement. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank
2: you. I feel, I feel really inspired by the fact that other people are so inspired. And I guess that's the way it works is we inspire each other and, and, the kind of energy and love and concern is contagious. So thank you all.
5: Wow, beautiful. All right, we have time for just one more. Um, How about Dave Dottor? Dave, you're on the public mic now and we can hear you. Go ahead. What would you like to ask or offer?
7: Oh, thanks very much. Uh, What I'd like to offer is the, um, the realization that I've had that it's, Uh, There is not so much, there is not a tension between contemplation and action, but a vital interplay that uh, we can hold both of those. And uh, something else that came out in the breakout group was uh, another person's observation that it's important for each of us to follow his or her own energy and interest and motivation and to take action um, however led. Uh, in whatever circumstances. I'd also like to bring to people's attention the Planetary Collective's um, film that's coming out in the spring called Planetary and urge everyone to get more information about it. The trailer is available on Planetary Collective's website and I hope um, it's as inspiring to everyone as it has been to me look for it in the spring. Thank you. Well,
8: mm.
5: All right, sure. And th- uh, thank you, because I have seen a preview of Planetary myself, and I'm super excited about it. So thanks for getting that in here. Um, we, have, we actually have time for one more. So Jenny Wilkes. Jenny, uh, in the UK, you're <laughs> on the public Hi. mic. And we can hear you. There might be a little background noise. Are you, you sure?
8: All right. Yeah. You can say no, it. but
5: I'll say something. Oh.
8: Hi,
9: um, Janice Sarah and everybody. Um, we're sitting in Totnes in England in our sitting group. We meet every Sunday, and so we've been following these talks together.
5: Mm-hmm. Oh.
9: So I'm actually going to pass over to John, who wants to say something in response. But, yeah, thank you for the call for this webinar.
10: Yeah, I just wanted to say how, how impressed I've been and... Uh, I think things that other people have said about feeling moved and feeling inspired. I think that's the general mood of our group here. Um, I think also hearing the word joy for me personally was very important because it, it is such a huge and frightening subject and, and prospect to take in. That and I think unless we can hold on to something positive and joyful it's going to be very difficult to to keep going and keep acting and keep communicating so i guess personally speaking i'm i'm trying to see how i can find a place for that joy within within the buddhist practice generally and within this approach to to climate change and any offers on that or any comments would be would be appreciated but thank you very much on behalf of the group here
0: um. Thank thank, thank you so much, John. It's so great to hear the guys from Totnes. You know, it's so uh, hey, lovely hey. to know you've been following the call. <laughs> hey! <laughs> oh, what a beautiful spot in the world. <laughs> the play, One of the places that started a transition town movement, which we should also check out and add to our list of resources. Um, we are getting near very much to the wrap-up of our conversation, but as I, I and uh, Gita, you mentioned about joy, um, do you have a minute just to say something about joy in, in response to John's um, call, uh, question, input? I want, <clears throat> I want to share with everyone that every
3: time I've gone, uh, the government know that we are here wanting this change, that we are putting our bodies on the line, that we are putting our, our hearts on the line, that it's been a joyful experience. And I think that's due to the fact that when everybody that I've been in contact with, when we come out, whether it was the People's Climate March or other actions, more local, people are coming from a place of love. They're coming from a place of really wanting to give something this precious planet, this precious environment, this ability to live and to practice on to the generations to come. They really want the the people who are the frontline communities, the people who are struggling most to be supported. And it's inspiring, it's inspiring to come together. Yeah. There's a lot of joy involved in that.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. great. Uh, thank you so much. Um, Kristen I'm going to pass to you sorry it's getting a little speedy not, I know it's not very meditative but we have to uh, we have a time limit Kristen please tell us something about what you've got in mind you and Lou for carrying on Yes um
5: It's so wonderful to be carrying this energy forward, and I can just feel everyone wanting to bring that energy into what is next. And I will say that as co-founders of One Earth Sangha, I know I can speak for Lou and myself in saying that we sincerely thank each of you for joining these calls, whether this is your first call, your fifth, somewhere in between, or if you're just listening to the recordings afterwards, your presence is deeply nourishing to all of us and to all who are coming together in service of the continuance of life. So thank you. And as I was saying earlier, we have heard from many of you that you have felt helped, encouraged, supported, um, and inspired by these calls and would like to retain that live connection in some way. So I'll just say we are exploring the possibility of monthly calls to keep our community connected and to share leadership around the, the globe and let us offer into a collective space what we can do, very much as was mentioned by the teachers earlier in the call. So we will be emailing you with information as that co- becomes available and when we know more. But stay tuned. We will continue. Go ahead, Tanisra. Thank,
0: thank you. and. Um uh, just taking a final breath, um, Ayaz, would you uh, please share the blessings and the good energy from from our series and from our call as we as we go into finishing our conversation today?
4: So, could all of you just you know focus on your wish, you know, to make a difference, and we're gonna share a Buddhist blessing to keep us all connected and to keep us all encouraged and positive in this time of great challenge, you know, to step out and act
8: for the benefit
4: of all sentient beings.
8: May May you have every good blessing. May May all the the devas protect you. By the power of all the Buddhas, may you ever be well. May you have every good blessing, may all the devas protect you. By the power of all the Dhamma, may you ever be well. May you have every good blessing, may all the devas protect you. By the power of all the Sangha, may you ever be well.
0: Thank you for those blessings. I feel them resonating out into the world around us. And uh, just to, again, add my thanks to all for your participation. Um, it's great that we're going to carry on the conversation and come together to run and offer what we can into the suffering world that, uh, and the climate emergency. I'd like to thank each of you for your donor offerings. It's been very, very supportive. I'd like to thank Maestro Conference for their amazing support. If you want to find out more about Maestro, you can press 1, and Barry will respond to that in due course on the pad. And thank Wano Sangha, thank Kristen and Lou for initiating um, this great platform for us to find a home within. Thank you to everyone. Uh, Go well. Thank you to all our team. Uh, Yong as well as Barry in the background and um, we will continue. Take care and um, yeah go well, go well stay well
7: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit org slash donate